Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and we are here to discuss a DC movie today. In fact, it's a DCEU movie, one of the second to last installment of the DCEU, as we have Aquaman later in the year. But we are talking about the often talked about, the the build by a lot of, a lot of critics, the greatest superhero movie of all time, The Flash. I I am joined by my co-host, my pal, Jake Christie. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm excited that we're almost done with the DCEU, mostly because I never quite understood why the E needed to be there the whole time. Um, you know, I don't think anyone... It, 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 no one was like, we need to make sure we need to be able to extend it. Um, but yes, I'm happy to talk about this movie, uh, which is not, of course, the greatest movie of all time, such as... Tom Cruise and Edgar Wright and Stephen yes, King. Yes, yes. Um, Tom Cruise allegedly, because we ain't even get like no real, real actual quote from him. It's just somebody said that somebody said that Tom Cruise said that this movie was really great. So yeah. that's that's one thing on itself. But let's just dive in. We saw this movie together, actually, at a screening about a month ago now, I would say. And you went back mm-hmm. to see it with the additional... Uh, material that was added in that we didn't get in the screener Mm -hmm. let's just start with what did you think of this movie like the thing is it's like fine to good is the range i'd put it in i liked it less the second time mostly because i think that the uh the story just was not as obviously obviously not as compelling because you know what's gonna happen the second time but i felt like um it's a movie that's very fun in a lot of times, and I think that it has some interesting ideas and sequences, but I think the ultimate failing in the movie is that its message is undercut by the movie itself. It's a movie that the message of it is that you can't go back and fix everything, and then the movie ends up going back and using a bunch of old stuff to get reaction out of people. And like that, I think knowing that was coming like really put a sour taste in my mouth but like i think that there's a lot of stuff that's enjoyable and fun about it like i don't think that it's a disaster um from a creative standpoint um for most of it but then once it gets like i think the stuff that they're trying to sell the hardest is actually the stuff that i think works worst in the movie and i think that like if, if there's something a movie about like the flash being fun and doing flash things honestly i would have enjoyed that more yeah so know? we talked about this movie previously beforehand and i think the one thing that i said about it was i think the flashpoint story is a very it's one of the richest and one of the bigger stories that the flash has had as a character and i just think the choice to use it here does kind of speak to what you're talking about a little bit the grab for audience cheers and and some things like that and I think the funny thing about it is, in thinking about having seen this movie, I think there's a lot of, there, there is a lot of good. I do really do feel that way. I think there's a lot of good. I actually think the story is not not bad on its face. And I just think if you have the perspective of someone who's just kind of going in with your with your brain turned off, I think you can enjoy this movie uh you know for what it is however you and i are not those people so we no 
No. And I don't think, and I think that the thing too is, I think that the people who are like that are less and less every day, especially with this movie based on how few right. people saw it. I mean, right, I exactly. Like... And which, I mean, it, it, it kind of speaks to what WB was trying to do and getting everybody to see it in advance to try and get the buzz out to get that positive verbiage going. I remember at our screening, they had that, they had that little booth once we left to try and get people to say amazing things. And I just remember saying to myself at the time, it's like, I could never do that because I'd just be faking it. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be faking it. I want to be genuine when I really enjoy something. And I think like my overall grade, I would say it's a solid movie. It's not what people were calling it, which is just, it just makes me wonder what people were watching when they watched it. Honestly, I think they were watching uh, Warner Brothers sign on a dotted line, green editing the next project. Is I think what was happening. <laughs> yeah, you know, that might have that might have a little to do with it. I think the I think if you want to just bottom line it before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of what happened here, mm-hmm. when you when you have to do essentially little to no press for a movie of this magnitude and sense of budget and everything else. Because your main character has been involved in criminal activity for the better part of the last few years. I just think it's difficult to get a good turnout. Generally, kind of hard. It's it's, yeah. it's kind of difficult. Um, I think the thing that I'll add on that, too, is that I think you have when just generally with the the DCEU as it was, everything that happened with Black Adam, everything that's happened with Evan Cavill and Gal Gadot and all that other stuff. When you kind of know that the jig is up, in a sense, mm-hmm. and I won't speak to, I won't, I won't say that it's necessarily how I feel, but it's a tough sell when you, when you want to say that, hey, we're doing this reboot of the DCU and starting a new universe and making something different, but then you are making this movie that ultimately will not amount to anything, and you're calling it a soft reboot, even though it's not really a reboot. You don't know if this is in. You don't know if this is out. Does it really matter? I think those are all fair questions to ask. Now, that part, I won't say I care about 100%, because individually, as a movie itself, you try and look at it that way. And I also think that that's very overstated as to why Mm -hmm. it didn't develop the box office, because the people who did in theaters are people who yes. don't care about that shit like if I, I, people who care about what they're saying is going to matter in the grand scheme of multiverse are people who are going to see every superhero mm-hmm. movie no matter what um, and that's in myself included but yeah I think that it I think ultimately because I think this ties into what doesn't work about it is there's a lot of people hand wringing about why it didn't do that well at box office I think the fact that Ezra Miller is not a big name like truly outside of like making jokes on Twitter like Ezra Miller is just not mm-hmm. a famous person really and the fact that they weren't doing press and weren't putting themselves out there and weren't being like charming. Yeah. Like I think that press is not everything, but I think it does like the fact that Ezra Miller didn't go on hot ones because Ezra Miller is a criminal. It's like, I think that that, that doesn't help it. And, and I think that people, audiences are not geniuses, but I think the thing they can always smell out is when they are being like shamelessly mm-hmm. pandered to. And I think that all the the forward facingness of the Michael Keaton stuff, the fact that that w- was what was centered, when I think anyone who knows how movies work would know that that's like a second act twist. But it's like you're putting this all up front. Like mm-hmm. I really think that the people who are old enough to be nostalgic about Michael Keaton's Batman are like, I'm not gonna see this dumb 
superhero movie now that is just trying to plan my nostalgia. And people who are younger are like, why are they trying to bring back this old guy to, you know, make it, it's so, it was so transparent that it was just a ploy in a way that like, I think I was, cause after I, um, I was talking about it with friend of the show, Michael Springfield, after we saw oh, Asteroid Mike. City, which is a much better movie. Uh, I said that like, it is incredibly notable that even though everyone knew that Toby and Andrew were going to be in No Way Home, that wasn't in the advertising because they were confident enough to sell you on what the movie was. And my great, the way I've been thinking about the advertising campaign for The Flash is it was so deeply unconfident in yes. what the movie was. It's like, no, we can't just sell you, we can't sell you this car, tell you it has a good motor and it's sustainable. We have to paint it bright red and give it flashy features. It's like, no, like, have confidence that the car you have. And, and I think that, I think people just can, re- it reeks of desperation. People can tell. And the fact is that DC doesn't have a track record to be trusted, that you know? Like, there's yeah. a reason. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult. This was never going to be a win- uh, winning formula. I mean, it just reminds me. No. It reminds me, honestly, of what Black Adam tried to do, which is funny. Black Adam did better than this, but it's it in mm. the same vein of trying to just push something through, and focusing on the post-credit scene. Black Adam. This is focusing, like you said, on Michael Keaton and Supergirl and everything else around it, mm. besides its its main star, which should be the focus. Because honestly, like when you think about the story, it's like. Yeah, there's some there's some good interesting stuff there, which let's dive into. So this is the yeah. this is the Flashpoint story. In this instance, Barry Allen uh, has the the situation that's loosely followed from the was it Justice League where his dad's in jail because uh, he was mm-hmm. uh, he was framed in this instance for killing his mom uh, back when Barry was younger, and yeah. after a whole bunch of uh, Justice League cameos at the the beginning of the film, we get Barry running mm-hmm. back, deciding to run back in time to. Well, can we quickly just talk about the baby scene? That I is <sighs> just why. I know that you as a father have feelings about it, and I think that that's like understandable. But I I think that, and I don't I don't want to make you go into that because obviously I don't I imagine no you don't no talk please, about please, the feelings please, that it makes you feel. But I'll just say, a a, a thing I saw someone put on Twitter, which I think is so true, is like. In what universe do they think that they were going to make that scene look good? Like that that scene, the CGI in that scene is so bad because it all has to be so fake. None of it can be practical. It's fucking babies. Anyway, continue. <laughs> well, you none of it can be practical, so that's going to look bad. I just want to know. I just have one question to writer slash director of mm-hmm. the movie. Why in the fuck would you ever decide to put a baby in a microwave at all? The visual itself just made my skin want to crawl. Okay, so I'm looking at I I, I it, he might just not have a complete Wikipedia page, but Andy Machete does not have any children. Um, so and credited writer uh, Christina Hodson, I don't believe does either. But with writers, you never know. Like I mean, this movie was rewritten so many times. Like I don't want to put this at the anyone's feet. Oh my god. Oh well. But well, yeah. I think you know the yeah. funny thing also about that scene. I thought it was a creative way of uh, seeing the uh, the visual of the Flash's powers and how that kind of works. Yeah. As far as him kind of needing food to to uh, mm-hmm. to give him the power, almost like he got an energy bar, similar to like what you would see yeah. in a video game. I actually thought that visual was cool. Actually, I also thought the Justice League stuff was 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 fun. The Wonder Woman yeah. cameo was cool. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Batfleck was in his in his 
five minutes of screen time was was actually mm-hmm. pretty good. Actually, let's talk about Ben Affleck right fast because it looked like he was having fun in this. I mean, he. Well, I, I mean, I think I just proved that a good woman in your life. <laughs> I mean, she's back with J Lo. I don't know if you saw J Lo's post for Father's Day, I but I mean, the guy's in great shape. Um, and I think that he's just like I think knowing. That like I think he was told like, hey, this is not actually an account. And he's like, wait, so I can just do show up for like three minutes and just be Batman, like whatever, fine. And I think that he's just like doing well. I'm just happy. I'm, I mean, anyone who listens to this pod knows I root for Ben Affleck um, through ups and downs. We had some rocky years, but I think you know it's great. For rocky me right to now. say the so least. I was happy. To, <laughs> I was I'm happy to see him. I think he looks great. Uh, he definitely. He de- the thing is. At the height of the Justice League and stuff, you can tell he was taking too many performance-enhancing drugs, and he's, his face was all too big. He looks at, like, a healthy level of buff now. Yes, yes, yes. So you most certainly did. Yeah, so that that was fun. But the, the crux of this whole thing is Barry wanting to uh, not only save his mm-hmm. mom, but get his dad out of jail. So he runs back in time, that yeah. whole deal. And then what we end up with is two Barrys. We got two Ezra yeah. Millers. <laughs> Which is yeah. a hell of a choice, considering Ezra That's Miller a, yeah. is at the center of this film. What did you think of that? that yeah. Idea? I'll say one thing first, is that I think one of the biggest issues with the movie is that the visualization of the Speed Force, I think, is actually just kind of a disaster. Um not that I, I don't know if that's how it actually looks in the comics, but I think the fact that everything around him in the Speed Force is CGI is Well, they made a it look like a, an arena, which is yeah. weird, honestly. How did they I think that, do like, this much, so much better? It's so weird. Yeah, it it, it feels like it, the fact that there's no explanation of it. I think I don't. I, you don't always need explanations, but I think it's really a problem because of the fact that, like I was saying, that everything CGI, which is fine, it doesn't have to look real. It's like a imaginary whatever. But I think it really just emphasized like a lot of the worst shots are from that, and I think it just. Once again, I, why is it visualized as an arena? Like, that is the thing I think that they think they don't need to explain, but I actually do think, I, especially at, at the end when you see all the universes colliding right. and stuff, like, I actually do need a logic to understand this, because there's no, what, what, what is the stakes of him using the Speed Force too much if we don't know what it is, I think you know? from a logistics standpoint, this is, again, the problem of going to a story like this when you haven't done a Flash movie in the past, and he's kind of been, this yeah. is when you hotshot a character into something. I mean, I mean, shout out to Cinephobe. Mm-hmm. They use that clip, um, Am I Too Soon? uh from 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 uh from yeah. Batman versus Superman and it's mm-hmm. it kind of fits the bill as far as what it is cuz you would like to see cuz a normal person who would be writing these movies and, and had a clear idea of what they wanted to do if they really wanted to make the flash a a character that's important and matters you would make a movie mm-hmm. and the you would get your origin story you would get everything and you would see how the speed force looked before you mm-hmm. get into something like this, which is is really the biggest story in in uh, the Flash's history to a degree, so yeah. and that's why it, it it makes it so hard because you're watching this movie and it's like, oh wow, Speed Force, oh wow, running back in time, and that's that's like way in advance as uh, as opposed to what you normally get with what your superheroes are in terms of trying to bring mm-hmm. them along and have them fight Captain Cold or some shit to start off. Yeah. yeah I, I think that it's 
the the analogy I've been thinking about with, and this is not a new thought, that the problem DC has had is that they want to skip to what Marvel has already without doing any of the work. But it's a lot like if a college, like, a lot of times what you'll have sometimes in college football is like a newer school will like have one booster who's like decides like University of Texas at San Antonio is going to be a great school and they start like p- pumping a ton of money into it. And then like they get up to the big leagues and then eventually they falter because they get mm-hmm. like something bad happens. My point being that like, you can't rush things overnight. You can't just pour money and ideas into it. And I think that they want a big multiverse story. And the Flash is a character that can do that because he has this power to go back in time. And going back in time, obviously, you can create multiverses. But the the conflict of the movie is about the Flash's personal failings of wanting to undo yes. things, right? But we don't know Barry Allen as a character really no. at all. So, like, it's it, it's it's really hard, like... I, I you want to spend time you want to have a triumph with Barry Allen before you see him go too far you know and I think that like I understand why Warner Brothers doesn't want to do that because executives aren't thinking like this but like you gotta take time to introduce the character like and I and I think the Flash too is you know is a character everyone knows but is not a marquee character where anyone well people go see a movie right. no matter what with the flash in it. like a batman movie a superman movie a spider-man movie people will be interested in that no matter what the flash is not that level of character and like i think that it, it just was it just doing the flashpoint story as the first flash movie is i think any comic book fan and i'm not one would tell you that's a bad idea <laughs> like it just on its face yeah it, it honestly it's just if you look at it overall, it it just reeks of... I mean, you kind of said it, desperation to a degree. As in, you're trying to make something substantial to... You know, it's the, it's the robbing Peter to pay Paul scenario as far as what mm-hmm. these movies have brought to us to this point. And I think that's why it's such a struggle for, gener- for people generally as they watch these movies to honestly feel good. And you talk about the connection stuff with Barry. There's no... There's no feeling of, hey, I really want to root for this person at all. Yeah. And I think adding a second version of this person when we, like you said, we don't really know him kind of adds to the whole, eh, sure, okay. Why am I supposed to care that there's a younger version of Barry Allen and he's even more annoying than this one? And I think that, like, they, in Justice League, it's stated that Barry doesn't have a lot of friends or whatever and is kind of shy. But the way that Ezra plays Barry in this feels like in Justice League, it's like, oh, I'm someone I don't have a lot of friends. I don't I don't socialize well. This they play Barry as someone who is like completely kind of socially mm-hmm. broken, which is a fine, I guess. But that's not what was in Justice League. And if they were to play Barry as this socially distraught and un you know not well versed for a full movie and then we were to see like but like i just don't i was kind of struck watching it the second mm-hmm. time of like with the conversations early on where you just you don't have much of an idea of barry as a character except that this one moment obviously ruined his life in a lot of ways understandably so it's a horrible thing but you kind of at least what i was thinking when i was watching is like but, like, how does he function as a human being 
for the last because right now Ezra is playing Barry as someone who can't function, yeah. which would make so like I almost what you want to see the positive side of Barry. You want to see like you, the thing you want to have happen with this, and I think when you have superhero stories where the superhero creates their own issue. It's always interesting when it comes after a triumph that Barry has a triumph over an enemy and then he gets too big for his sneakers. He thinks right. that he can do anything, right? Whereas, like, we don't have that here. We just have a, we have the scene where he kind of puts it together, like, I could go back in time and fix this and this and this. And it's like, it, it feels almost like there's a mandate, like, we need to get him back in time by page 30. And I don't. And, yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I. I akin this to, I mean, you know, I always like to use the slow cooker analogy when it comes to these things. Mm. Well, you got to put your stories mm. in the slow cooker. If you don't, if you cook your stories too fast, they're not going to come out well. You just, they're just not. Yeah, exactly. They never do. T- takes takes over 10 hours to get a I good I mean, brisket. I'm saying, man, you got to you gotta let that in. Then it's, honestly, this movie is emblematic of the DCEU. It really is in a lot yeah. of ways. Uh, even with their... Even with their efforts to try and do a good story, because honestly, some of the, the some of the writing I actually thought was pretty good. And if I gave a shit, yeah. I would probably really yeah. care way more than yeah. uh, than uh, you know a lot of people did who who, who watched this movie and were emotional at times. I mean, our, our mm-hmm. screening, we'll get to it a little bit later in terms of some of the stuff that we saw on mm-hmm. the screen, but. Um, people's reactions to this movie were just amazing to think about yeah. in general, but. There are other characters in this movie. Um, let's let's start with let's let's go with Michael Keaton because that was a yeah. big part of what they wanted to focus this on. Uh, uh-huh. We see him in the second act. It was an interesting way to introduce him, and um, honestly, I thought you know Keaton was an old pro. He was just doing. He was just yeah. You know, he was there. He. I remember reading an interview that he did recently or well, as of last year, I believe. And he said that, you know, he was the reason why he took this, this role in particular to come back was that he actually thought the story for, for Batman was pretty good. Would you agree with with his assessment? I mean, it's impossible to really evaluate what he's talking about there. Cause he also was in the back of the movie. So it's impossible to know mm-hmm. what was originally on the page. And I would say it's close, but no, it not really. Mostly because, mm-hmm. and this is just to compare it to Spider-Man No Way Home again, which is the obvious yes. comparison, is that like, bes- besides the fact that they can, that Michael Keaton said yes, is there a really good thematic reason why Michael Keaton's Batman is the one that Barry Allen meets? Like, what is the reason why he's there? And I think that, I think that his storyline from like a, a guy, you know, go one last ride, you know, as you love, um, is there's stuff that's compelling with it, but I think that the way that it ends where like, you know, I mean, people have been making fun of it a lot where he like does the kamikaze dive into a <laughs> ship with a shield that was on it. Funny. Like, like they just, they so thoroughly don't stick the landing with his character. And so like a lot of the stuff that he's like, he's such a pro that he plays the old mentor stuff really, really well. But to what end? Like, why is Barry Allen in from another universe the person that he's being the old pro to? Um, and I think because there's no thematic resonance to the character that he is mentoring, mm-hmm. he can't really have a satisfying arc. Because there's nothing... Barry Allen doesn't mirror anything in Bruce Wayne. And so, like, it kind of is just, like, the one last ride. But we don't know why he hung it up. So, like, why, what is he overcoming? Like, there's just... 
Well, I, I can't be too... I, I liked it more than I didn't because Michael Keaton's so good and just is like, he's a, a movie star and knows what he's doing. But if you if you ask me, like, do I think that what is in the movie is what made Michael Keaton think this was a good story? No, I don't. I just want to pause this podcast for one second because I just got a text from my dad. My dad texted mm-hmm. me because on, on, on Father's Day, I made a vegan chocolate cake, and this has nothing to do with the Flash. I baked it myself, mm-hmm. made a vegan chocolate cake, brought it over for Father's Day. My dad said he just tried it 10 minutes ago. It was delicious, and I couldn't tell it was vegan. Great job, son. And that is that is what you call a a, a winning winning approval from dad that makes me feel so good. I just had to say it on this show. And now... Shouts to, ve- shouts to vegan chocolate cakes. I've never had a vegan chocolate cake, um, but uh, yeah, because my mom is vegan, so yeah. so I oh nice. yeah, so I. If you ever need if you ever need another baking challenge, you have a close friend who lives in the same city as you who needs gluten free chocolate cakes. So if you ever need a challenge, yeah, okay, um, okay. I mean, I it, that it's you know vegan is I I, I think that vegan's probably hmm, I'm trying to think what would be harder. I don't know because I'm not a baker, but you're the baker man. That's something people don't know. It's a- AC the challenge baker. accepted. Um, I'll, I'll see I'll see what I can they, do for you, man. Thank yes. you. Uh, but anyway, but yes, yes. I, I, um, to go off your to go off your point about 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 Keaton and the fact that again this all of this rounds back to the fact that we don't care about about Ezra's Barry and it just makes it so difficult because Keaton's very enjoyable in this film. In fact, mm-hmm. if man, if they had done this correctly. They could have actually done instead for this movie, they could have done the actual flashpoint of of Keaton playing a Thomas Wayne type and doing the whole write the letter to Bruce for Barry to bring it back at the end of the film. And that would have hit so much that would have hit so much better than this, where it's like, yes, old man down on your luck. We've seen we've all we've seen it before. It's a it's a very it's a it's a it's a wonderful trope if you if you hashtag watch. I mean, it's your it's, favorite. It's, like, it's right. Mean, it's right there. It's right in my wheelhouse. So he has mm-hmm. the long hair and and he's got the beard and he's just he's just struggling and and I I love that he says at the end you gave me a reason to to, to come back and and fight along and stuff like that. So yeah. listen, Keaton's an old pro. I enjoyed the performance. I actually thought the the scene where they're going to rescue Supergirl was actually mm-hmm. that was that action scene was a lot of fun i thought the i think that's probably the highlight of the movie that's that yeah that stretch probably, right there is yeah. is is probably the best portion and and uh yeah it's it's like you almost kind of have this you kind of have this push and pull feeling with with that where you you almost wonder if this was just somebody that you you know felt like more of a connection to and if this was built out in a different way then maybe this would have landed differently but i did just think from just like a from an action flick standpoint just a solid action flick and you're looking for action for and seeing michael keaton there as batman i think the nostalgia aspect is is perfect and also this is the thing for people who did see this movie and dc fans who very much like agent of shield fans i don't really understand but they seem to enjoy it uh, what you call it just as as anybody would who was seeing somebody come back in that instance so i guess i get it to a degree i didn't have a problem overall i actually thought that keaton was good in the movie 
But then again, it, it just feels like overall one of those things that cool, but opportunity missed. Yeah, and, and it's it's also like it the word contrived comes to mind. And that's not to say that like No Way Home is obviously also contrived, mm-hmm. but I think that once again, because I think that they were when they're right making a way home. I think they're very aware of how contrived it is, and so I think that that's why in basically every scene, any time, anytime there are multiple Spider Man on screen, they underline the thematic stuff so much because it's like, yes, we're gonna but like we're gonna make this count emotionally. Like there is nothing that Michael Keaton's Batman does for Barry Allen that another old mentor couldn't do, and so it's just like you're just doing this, and especially too because like I think it also would be very different if. And seeing some behind-the-scenes stuff from Batgirl, I think this might have been the case for Batgirl. If the world that that uh, Barry, the two Barrys went to, well, like sorry, the one Barry went to, was like Tim Burton's Batman, that would be very different. But it feels like they're putting Michael Keaton's Batman in the DCE world. It's the same look. Like it doesn't feel like, and obviously it's a big ask, but it's kind of like, because is the world that we see in? that that uh barry goes to is that the world that tim burton's batman took place in i don't know i don't think so it doesn't look like it and so like i think that these questions obviously are not important but i think that that lack of specificity i i I, as someone who actually enjoys the tim burton batman movies a lot almost and a lot of it not because of michael keaton not that michael keaton's bad at all but because i think the world he does is so unique it i don't like that they kind of decouple michael keaton from the tim burton aesthetic because the this the aesthetic is what makes this movie magical and special and so, like, it just feels like nostalgia, whereas I feel like you almost could have an opportunity, and this is just pitching something different, but if Barry goes to the world of the Tim Burton Batman, which is wacky wild and has freaking penguins with rocket ships or whatever, that that could be thematically interesting, as opposed to putting Michael Keaton's Batman in the super crisp, clean CGI world of the DCE. Yes, yes, yeah. Th- Damn. It's just, uh, it's one of those things that, again... DC, but more on that later. So, uh, also along with uh, Batman, we also get a Supergirl appearance, Sasha Kaye. Uh, salute to her. I thought she was one of the best parts of the movie, if not the best. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, you know, as we didn't get a lot of her, but what we saw was very good. And it's so unfortunate that they had to rewrite this movie like 3,000 times because apparently what they originally had was pretty good. seemed like it would have featured more of her. Uh, give me your thoughts on on what you saw from her in this. Uh, I jokingly tweeted when there was a report that she's discussed having a future role going forward as Supergirl. I said that she was the only unambiguously good person in the movie, so therefore she's not going to be in anything again. <laughs> um, that like she, there's so little of her, but she, I think, um, I think plays what they're asking of her, which I think is very difficult because they clearly rewrote so much shit that she has to like go through the emotions of like hating humanity not caring and then caring in like three seconds mm-hmm. and i think that she plays that well i think that she has an earnestness to her which is like the as we've talked about i think one of the hardest things to find in modern actors uh and um is required for superman you can't play superman ironically um and or supergirl or and so I, I'm, I would be excited to see her do stuff. I would hope that they would find better ways to visualize her action because I think that her action is the stuff that looks the worst um, just because it's, you know... It, and I think that probably because they're rewriting the stuff and it does look like a PS4 cutscene. Like, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I think that she just has, like, a great vibe and um, 
it's very different than any Superman vibe. And I think that it, it is a lot of the stuff that people want to do with Superman where they make Superman mysterious or like untrustworthy or whatever. That's the thing that every, Zack Snyder wanted to do a million times. I think that you can't really do that with most versions of Superman because most people who play Superman play him as completely good. Whereas you could do a story like that with this Supergirl. Like if you, I actually would believe if someone didn't trust her. So I think that there's it's a, it's a layer of performance, which I was interested. I was happy with, and I hope that she does stuff in the DCU going forward. But if not, I hope that this doesn't ding Sasha Kaye's career because I think that she, um, you know, clearly uh, has a lot of talent and she really just was like fucking Atlas lifting up the world. And by the world, I mean this whole press tour. Like, yeah. <laughs> just they, hey, you have 30 minutes of screen time in this two hour and 20 minute movie. You are an entire press tour. Yeah. Um, shout out to one of our members in the Discord, Lexi May. She... She has a, her friends do a podcast that actually Sasha was a part of and they, and, mm-hmm. and she did an interview with them. Uh, it's, it's a shame that they had to run her out there like that, especially when they're not even they're on the fence as far as even adding her to continue on. It's just very at the, okay. So at the end of this, I want to get into the Hollywood reporter article, but I will save that, save that note because Jake, you mentioned something about the about the way that her fighting looked with the yeah. with the CGI. Mm-hmm. Listen, this show does not like to spend a ton of time on CGI. However, no. however, 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 this was... I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, you said the video game thing, and I think that's a fair point. I think there was a stretch from that time that you mentioned with with uh supergirl once we get to that and once we get to the big battle with zod and and that whole thing to the multiverse and seeing all Mm. of these characters and stuff it definitely took me out of the movie in a way that made me feel weird about it yes please expound so i think that you know we don't talk a lot about bad cgi mostly because it's not like interesting i think um especially if it's like bad if it's like a badly animated character like for example she hulk that like Mm -hmm. you either got you either could deal with it or you couldn't like there was not much to talk about it with this i think that it's notable because it is the entire climax that has this issue basically and it hurts narratively because all of like the fights and the punches and all that feel completely weightless and not important and I think the biggest thing, and I was, and I'm not an expert in CGI, but I understand enough about how it's done, that what I could tell, what I think the issue was, and I could be wrong about this. If someone works CGI in this, let me know. But I think when you have, when everything in the frame is artificial, and you don't have the time to make it look like Avatar, mm-hmm. you have a problem. Like I think that's so much of the reason why it took you out of it. AC is because there was nothing keeping you in on it. Nothing in the frame looked real. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like I think it's like. I think you can get away with, like, even at the times where She-Hulk's, and, like, CGI was the worst, she was still in a real office and with interacting with real people and other characters. This, it it, it felt completely fake. And the thing they do a lot, too, which I think is one of the worst things, and I think that's something that, even if you don't realize that it's something that takes you out, is you ever notice in the CGI sequences where they'll do moves with the camera that a real camera couldn't do? Yeah. That, like... And I think if you're doing a real sequence and you do fake camera moves, that's fine. But if you do an entirely fake sequence, I feel like you almost want to have real camera moves because you want the audience to not lose sight of it. Some of the shots where it's like tracking with their punch and doing slow-mo and like, 
I, I think we inherently in our brains know that that is not possible to ever do real. And so I think we immediately are like, this is completely artificial. This is not, nothing's happening. And so I assume that most of it has to do with the fact that they changed the ending of this movie like a hundred times mm-hmm. and probably were working people to the bone to get it done. But I think that it, it's emblematic of this idea that um, the best way to do things is to CGI more than less. And I, th- and I know that, and I've heard people work in VFX say that they prefer to do fully CGI stuff because it's easier for them. And I'm sorry, but it's worse for the movie. Like, I, I think that we just need to start, like, so I think so much the reason why, like, Guardians look so good, even though you have two fully CGI characters, is because you see the behind-the-scenes stuff. Most of the set is real. Mm-hmm. Only, like, the way background's green screen. Right. That Rocket Raccoon looks real because all the stuff he's interacting with is real. If you just have, if you just had Rocket Raccoon in front of a one blue screen on a gigantic desert and everyone he was fighting was also fake, it'd be like, yeah, none of this feels real because this is all... You're just watching an animated movie at this point. And so I think that they really need to be... And this is something I'm happy that James Gunn's in charge because he's someone who understands this. But, yeah. like... And I've said it before, and, like, once again, I don't know... I'm not an expert in this, but it just feels like the biggest difference between movies that have good CGI and movies that have bad CGI is movies with good CGI know exactly what the CGI is going to be when they are shooting it. That they have an idea of how they're going to shoot it to put the CGI in later. This feels like... They're like, we'll do a final fight scene, we'll figure it out later, and then they wrote what the fight scene was on a computer in CGI. Yes. Yeah, I was... Yeah, it's... And that's the thing, like... I wanted to like and enjoy the, that battle, but it just didn't... Yeah, it was so video gamey. It just didn't... Yeah, it didn't feel... Yeah, I mean, obviously, it didn't feel real. Like, you would get in, in uh, some other things that we've seen much much more uh cohesive and well done yeah say what you will about the final fight in avengers endgame all of the characters were there <laughs> like yeah. i mean like i i, I there, the fact that there are just shots that i don't even think they started with a real model of the character and like that's a problem like if you're not right. starting with real f- footage at all then like what are we doing right right and this leads me to what seemed to be what the uh the big the big moment of the movie was seeing all of the uh multiverse characters in DC we got a look at Nicolas Cage's Superman fighting a spider robot again very CGI and um can i also just talk about that briefly that that is a moment that is for people who know the behind-the-scenes Hollywood story from 25 years ago about Kevin Smith making a Nicolas Cage Superman movie in which uh, John Peters, the executive, suggested he fight a gigantic uh, spider. I'm someone who knows that, so like I'm like, ah, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. But like that, you, people accuse Marvel of doing Easter egg bullshit a lot. Marvel has never dedicated a minute and a half of a movie to a thing that you need to know an anecdote from Kevin Smith's history in order to get fully. <laughs> like, that's stupid. I mean, honestly, I, the the pandering, to say the least, was was happening, and I think the thing, and I and I said it, and I said it at the time because um, I said it this past weekend as people were watching it, and I saw some of the reactions to the Christopher Reeve, uh, you know, imaging there. If you were offended by it, I totally get it. I I, I totally get it. I think. What ends up happening with these things, and I mean, obviously, as you know, you tweeted about it too. We were both there. The crowd just went nuts and cheered the thing to uh, to no end. It was the loudest cheer of the of the evening with the movie, and 
I don't know. I didn't know how to feel about it. It was weird. It just, it's just, it was just very weird. That's how I felt. I, I think that it's like, not to get too morbid, but it's like, I think it's, and it's of course talking about being on a podcast about movies that never end, but like, it, I think it's just actually deeply unhealthy as a society to not accept that people die and things are over. Like, I, I think that like the desire from, I think it goes hand in hand with a thing I hate a lot in fandom where fans try to decouple real world restrictions from what their favorite properties can be. That it's like, well, yeah, Christopher Reeve's dead, so he can't play Superman again. But now that we get the technology, he can. Like, no, 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 no. The fact that he's dead, like, we don't need to do that. Like, it is not, we don't need to overcome human, like, you know, humans being alive and dead. We don't need to overcome these issues. And I think that really disheartened me too, because I wasn't super familiar with this, but the, the other Superman, one of the other Superman cameos they have is George Reeves, who played him on TV or in movies in like yes, the 30s. Yes, Who I remember the Ben Affleck movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hollywoodland. Yeah. But he literally killed himself because he didn't think he could get out of being super, like he thought he was overshadowed by Superman. He, his life was literally, he said he was couldn't get out of the work because he thought people thought he was Superman too much. Like they couldn't see him as anything else. And to make that man a man who committed suicide because, in part because of the unhealthy relationship he had with playing Superman, it's like, if that's not emblematic of, like, these are human beings and their lives, even if Christopher Reeves' estate got a ton of money, and I'm sure they did, yada, yada, yada. But, like, I think that in this day and age, especially as now we have writers going on strike, actors probably going to go on strike because of AI things, like, no fandom, no Easter egg, none of this stuff is more important than these ethics and sanctity of human life and i know that's a very lofty thing to be talking about but like i can't actually think of a way it is i think turning a dead person into a puppet even if it's done with permission like that is what you're doing you're making a person do things and be in something that they did not sign off on themselves and like that is it makes me feel icky and it makes me feel gross and like and the biggest thing about it is in this case particularly it is not worth it because it doesn't actually mean anything it's not thematically important at all if your feel good is going to come from somebody who has passed on and is deceased. I think you should ask yourself, maybe I should find a different type of feel good. Maybe I should, maybe that I, I and, th and that's how I feel. And it's not, you know, no, actually I, I'll say this. It is a morality thing. There is a morality thing when it comes to this, because no fandom is worth it's not worth it i just it, it's one of those things where you look at it and you look at the logistics of it and i remember the reactions and it just felt like guys 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 we got to take a second we got to take a second and think about what we just saw like was this was this something that was necessary do you i mean this is something you feel good about it because when you walk out of that theater as a person as a, as a human being if you think about christopher reeve and his life and, and and all that other stuff and what happened to him and what he went through all that stuff and then he he you know he passes on i it's not something that i walk away from and say oh wow that was great i just saw a dead person on screen that's, and the thing that's yeah. the thing that's different, like I think I love Cameo's movies, honestly. Of course, I, of course, of course. It's one it's one of my big problems. Like there's so many times I when people complain about cameos, I almost always am like, ah, I like seeing famous people. But the thing that's for example, Nicolas Cage, the reason why that cameo in way in some ways like is actually very fun, is because Nicolas Cage wanted to play Superman. Nicolas Cage named his son fucking Kyle L. So the fact that he, as a human being, gets a Superman movie is exciting. That's cool. you know who gets nothing out of Christopher Reeve being in this movie? Christopher Lee Reeve. And I think the bigger thing is like 
because it started off obviously like Ramboff Tarkin in Rogue One was the first time it happened, and I didn't think much of it at the time because it was like a full character. And I thought like, oh, they just wanna, yeah. And then that the time that it really bugged me was when I saw them do it in Ghostbusters Afterlife with Harold Ramis, and um, like I said, like the the thing that struck me was not so much just like that. Oh, they it's exciting for the cameo or whatever, but it's like, um, you. I think that it's just it's it's a level of entitlement that I don't want to like belittle, but it's just like you're wanting to see more of like I want people to interrogate why them seeing Christopher Reeve is important to them when he is not getting anything out of it when it is just his image is the thing because I think that like so much of what you and I get out of these projects I think why we like to dive into the behind the scenes stuff or understand this stuff is because. I think we are we try to have a somewhat symbiotic relationship with the people who make and produce the stuff. Mm-hmm. And it feels completely parasitic to view your fandom in a way that it if it is irrelevant that the person involved is getting anything out of it, then like I think that you have an unhealthy fandom. That like I don't want to watch and participate in things that are not that there isn't love and enjoyment in, you know what I mean? Like, that's why, I mean, one of the reasons I've obviously liked the MCU more than the DCU, besides the fact that I think the movies are better, is that, say what you want, some of the issues the MCU has had, uh, the MCU has never had a disaster, like, you know, filming-wise, compared to, like, the D- if you were to rank the top 10 worst filming disasters MCU and DCU, the DCU would have, like, the top five, you know? Like, it's, and I think that, like, right. knowing that these things are, like, healthy and good is part of what I enjoy, and I think that, like, the de- dead people are dead, and there is, and once again, the fact that this, I saw this movie twice, I have no fucking clue what these mean. The, 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 what does it mean? Why are the universes collapsing on each other? What's going on? Why are we, and why is it only Superman we're seeing? Why are we not seeing, we only see one other Flash? Why is he, why is he not seeing other Flash? Why yeah, is he seeing other Superman? Batmans uh, and stuff like that. I, yeah, I, I mean, I remember, and and not to just make it about DC. I think this is a general fandom thing because I do remember. I agree. I agree. There were there were people who wanted CGI Chadwick, and they wanted that too. And it was like, yeah, no, we don't need to do that. And yeah. let's be tasteful. Let's you know, if you want to do a tribute and you do it as beautifully as Wakanda Forever did, you mm-hmm. do that. That's fine. I think this is you start to blur the lines and you and honestly the people as in fans can't be trusted because no. they will take it and run with it and expect it to be in everything just for their feel good and I just mm. don't think that you should do stuff like that just to satiate it's that whole what the rock was talking about in Black yeah. Adam it was about the fans it's about the fans it's about the mm. fans Nah, man. It's a, it's, no, it's not, not just the it's not just about that. Yeah. It's we got we have to remember um, that it, these people are people. They're and, you know, yeah. And on top of that, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, that yes. I think that there's a way that fans in particular talk about actors like they're 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 willing to like understand that creatives behind the scenes are like artists or have like a th- authority like that like they will accuse Ryan Johnson of ruining Star Wars and they give him agency in that. Mm-hmm. I think fans will don't treat actors as artists, right? And I think that the reason why it's so distasteful for in, for actors in particular to CGI a performance they did not give is because their performance is their canvas. It's, it's akin to painting, like, just shitting on a canvas and saying Jackson Pollock painted it and, like, mm-hmm. putting it in his museum. Like, 
the reason why it would be distasteful to CGI Chadwick Boseman is because Chadwick Boseman was an artist and you are attributing a work of art to him that wasn't him if you do that. And I think that like we need to really take seriously, once again, as AI becomes a thing and as the, the actors are considering striking, like the beauty of performance is something that I think we really take for granted because yeah. too many people don't realize how different it is than just saying lines on a piece of paper. And like it we shouldn't take it lightly. And also, what the fuck happened to just casting people that look like people? We did that all the time. All the time we used to do that. If you needed a younger version of someone, you didn't do a deep fake of them younger. You just cast a younger version. So, you know, difference between The Rock and Vin Diesel. You know what Vin Diesel did in Fast 9 when he needed a young Dom Toretto? He cast a guy who looked kind of like him when he was young. Just do that again. Like, Jesus Christ, we don't need to do this. It always, also, it always looked bad. It always, like, the CGI Christopher Lee, he didn't look alive. He looked like a dead-eyed puppet, because they always do. <sighs> It's a, yeah, it's a, it, it, it was very tough. And I know, and I remember both you and Hunter, friend of the show, had that reaction. And um, I mean, mine was a little bit more muted because I, to a degree, I don't expect a lot from. No. So that, I, also, but, I also had thought about it. I knew it was coming, so I thought about it a lot beforehand. And I've also been thinking, of basically, since Ghostbusters Afterlife, I've been thinking about it a lot. Right, right. But yeah, I, I hope that. I mean, this is the thing with AI and the technology. It seems like these things are just becoming more relevant and prevalent yeah. in all of these things. But um, let's get to the resolution of this movie and the cameo that we get at the end. First, the resolution. Obviously, the younger Barry turns into yeah. kind of like a dark flash who mm -hmm. looks a little bit like Savitar, which is another Speed Force villain. Um, and he keeps trying to fix the mistake and it just creates what we've been talking about for the last few minutes. And then Barry has to, well, Barry has to, you know, run back and correct the thing with the can of tomatoes. And, and then it's a whole, you know, sob story with his mom, which again, which we would be more effective if I cared about Barry Allen stuff like yeah. that so obviously corrects the whole thing. Everything is yeah. back to normal. I, I will say one of the good things that this movie did is that they recast his dad from being Billy Crudup to Ron Livingston. Although I think Billy Crudup is a better actor. The thing about this movie is you have to believe he didn't do it. And if Billy Crudup was accused of murder, I'm like, yeah, that motherfucker did it. Like he did it. I, sorry, sorry, Barry, your dad's a murderer. I mean, Ron Livingston, I'm like, yeah, sure, he's a nice guy. But Billy Crudup did that shit. I mean, <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Uh, also, shout out to the mom. I thought she was good. Yeah, yeah I, th yeah, I thought she was legit. She was, she was, yeah. she was good. I, I, I enjoyed her run in there. She had mm -hmm. the. She had the most uh, depth touch of the uh, of the movie with terms yeah. of lines and, mm -hmm. and little emotional moments and stuff like that. But yes, Barry is able to set things right eventually, or did he? Because when he comes back, he see you know he he gets his dad off of prison with the whole uh, mm -hmm. with the whole can of tomatoes thing, and instead of the Batfleck Bruce mm -hmm. at the end, he gets. One George Clooney, Clooney mm. bats, mm. Uh, Clooney Bruce. What did you think of this cameo, Jake? I mean, it was fun. I'm glad that I'm happy for George Clooney. Like this is one thing. This is what makes cameos fun. Is that like you can think about the fact that George Clooney talks openly about how Batman and Robin yes. was the worst decision he made, and it's fun to imagine him being able to come back and like reclaim it and make a joke about it. Like that. This is actually a great idea for cameo. It's a good way to end the movie. Um, I had no problems with it. Uh, I, I do appreciate that he didn't bother shaving. He looks like he was coming right off of a Casamigos ad. All, I'm, I'm always happy to see George. Yes, yes. And, okay, so 
now I can get into this Hollywood Reporter article because it details that this ending was the third ending that that the that Andy Machete and and with with some additional help from James Gunn figured out as opposed to what was the original two. One of them was was uh, Keaton's Batman, uh, Supergirl, and Barry there on the courtroom at the end. The second one was the the Zack Snyder Justice League with Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot uh, there as well. And they eventually came on for, to the third ending with this, with Clooney. When I don't know if you took a look at this. The, this article it was interesting to kind of dive into what all of this mm-hmm. looked like. And again, I, this is a reminder of how this movie is emblematic of why DC really did need mm-hmm. a reboot yeah. and does need a reboot in so many different ways. Um, what did you think of how they, they decided to end this movie? I mean, I think that the it's probably like my second of those. Like, I, I obviously you need to see the execution. I think that the first one where it's Keaton and Supergirl just makes more sense with the actual movie that we saw. Like, I like the cameo, mm-hmm. but like, I think if they did it with Godot and Cavill, that would be a problem, especially given the fact that Cavill's not going to be in going forward. Um, right. So I think that like this is like. I understand how they got to this, you know, and I actually, and I don't, if Barry Allen, if this Barry Allen is not going to be prevalent in the DCU going forward, I don't think uh, he will be, uh, then I actually don't, I don't want there to be a ton of weight in the ending, so I'm kind of fine they punted it on a joke, honestly, you know. Yes, yes, and I, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and, and yeah, the DC, the DCU had, DCEU has one movie left, uh, thankfully, gracefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have, and, we and, have and, and, and test screenings for that movie are going really great. People love it, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Talk about that's that's public information, right? Test screenings they've ever seen. One of the worst they've ever, ever, ever seen. So, Which is crazy, because James Wan's a good filmmaker. I'm really fascinated to see it, but we'll talk about it then. And the, yeah, the first Aquaman was good. Um, yeah. and so, uh, I guess, you take your take your film experience with it, because now you've seen it twice. Yeah. God bless you, Jake. You're, you're a man of the people. Yeah, I've done worse things in my life. And uh, take your film experience, everything that we've seen, everything that we've talked yeah. about, because we've kind of talked about this movie off offhand a bunch yeah. of times now. How do you feel about it now that you've seen it a couple of times? Where where does it stand with you as far I as mean, anything? I would say, like, I would put it at the bottom of DC movies that are not bad, if that makes sense. Like There you go. Like, I think that, like, most of the other ones that anyone would call good, I, I think, are better. Um, like, I think the original Shazam is better. Uh, Birds of Prey is mm-hmm. better. Um, you know, all the Wonder Woman, all these movies are better. Um, I would say that it's, like, you know, just above Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Um, and I think, ultimately, like, if there was not so much writing on it, if there wasn't this other baggage, like, if it wasn't as expensive as it was, like, the the movie's problems are only major problems because of how big of a movie it is. Mm-hmm. If this movie was, if this movie was Birds of Prey sized, I wouldn't care that much about the issues, but like it, it is a, it is kind of a victim of its own bloated budget and expectations. So how did I enjoy it? Like I didn't enjoy it as much the second time, mostly just because like I knew the cringe stuff that was coming up at the end. Yeah. Um, but I will say I was very happy that my my theater the second time I saw it did not cheer for Christopher Reeve. They did cheer for Nick Cage, and that's acceptable to me. There you go. There you go. 
I think the way that I would put a, a, a ribbon and bow on this thing is... I'm I'm glad this part of it seems like it's over. And yes. That they, 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 they can move on. I think a lot of the time has been spent too much in a lot of ways. What this movie is about is trying to fix mistakes without really mm-hmm. actually fixing the mistake. And fi- then the mistake is that you keep trying to do the same thing over and yeah, over. Yeah, that's what over. I was alluding to earlier when I said that the movie yes. undermines its own theme. That, like, it can't. Like, at least, like, I mean, it's, it's obviously the same problem with the sequel trilogy in Star Wars, that Ryan Johnson burned down the tree that has the past, and then the ninth movie, they're like, no, 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 but the past matters a lot, the past matters a lot! And so they did kind of the same thing, just on a small scale with this movie, where it's like, you can't fix things, yeah. and then they try to fix things. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's just so much, um, I think if you think about this, the, the era, just take it back to Man of Steel in 2013, and... Wow, it just feels like a a big missed opportunity, and yep. honestly, a waste of, a waste of, a waste of our time yep. as as a as a as people who are moviegoers and want to yep. see the. Because listen, I, I'll say this again: to any DC fan who's listening to this, we don't want the DC. We no. don't want DC to suck. We want it to yep. be good. We you don't like it like, to be good. I, I, if I'm going to spend my time watching a movie, I always want it to be good, and like. I, you and I are going to see all of these movies at some point because we just are mm-hmm. interested in this. And so, like, I would like my time to be well spent. Why do I do Why is this part? Why am I a part of a Marvel podcast? Because I happen to have watched all of those movies. I just kind of like, and so, like, I'm not, I think that there's a lot of um, feeling for DC fans online that people are rooting against them. And I'm sure that there are, like, I'm rooting, I am rooting against certain types of DC fans, but I'm not rooting against the movies being good. And I think that it is annoying to see. It's annoying that it feels like from where we're sitting, we can understand why they're bad. And that shouldn't be the case in the movies. It should be hard for... I shouldn't be able to understand why a movie's bad easily, you know? Like, I should have to know the inside scoop, but, you know. No, I mean, 100%. And I think the last thing that I will say about The the Flash overall is that, you know, thank God we getting Ezra Miller out of here. I, I, <sighs> I Just enough. Enough with the running, enough with the character being annoying, enough with... It's I it's it's just a Barry Allen I could never root for even before no. all this other shit. Yeah, I've always found Ezra Miller annoying even before all the shit because Ezra Miller has terminal uh raised born and raised in Manhattan and went to art high school vibes. Um <laughs> them and Ansel Elgort are both afflicted with it. There's no known cure. Timmy Chalamet has managed to overcome it, I think mostly just because like mm-hmm. Timmy Chalamet seems to have a sense of humor about himself, which I get the vibe that Ezra Miller has no sense of humor about themselves even a little bit. Uh, and so if I never have to hear someone compare someone else to Ezra Miller ever again, uh, I will die happy. And that's all I have yes, about that. Yes, yes. And, and finally, the last thing, James Gunn, I listened to him on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast last week, and it seems like he has, he seems like he has a good handle on what he, what yeah. he wants to do. That 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 at least is a nice little kernel to make yes. feel pe- make people feel confident because it seems like he knows what he's he's planning to do and there seems to be a clear cut plan. Now, if David Zasloff gets involved, that's a whole different. Story. Let's uh, I mean, let's end this episode happy. Let's just let's 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 find out. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, ribbon and bow on the Flash. Eh, what are you gonna do? So, uh, before we go, the next time that we will be on with you, lovely people will be for episode one of Secret Invasion. 
the MCU series that honestly I've been waiting for for a while. And yeah. as we are hours away as we record yeah. this, our episodes so, will be dropping Friday mornings, folks. Yes, yes, yes. So Friday mornings, you can look out for that. Um, looking forward to talking to different people, you know, about this show. It should be it should be a lot of fun. Some of our old friends, hopefully some new ones come along as well. So it should be a, a nice, nice journey to go on. And I hope that everybody who's listening here takes that journey along with us. Jay Christie, where can we follow you, my friend? You can follow me on Twitter at the Jay Christie. Listen to my other podcast, Love It for Psych, that I with Andre Brewer, where we watch the show Psych. Yes, and you can follow me on Twitter at AnthonyCanton underscore three. Follow the show on Twitter at MCUniversityPod. Same on Instagram. And check out the YouTube channel. We will definitely be trying to add some more to that as we go along here. And uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash MCUniversityPod, where you could get our latest content. Please do check out, if you haven't, and if you have been living under a rock, please check out the Daddy's podcast. We went almost three we, hours this time, baby. Uh, I mean, I I I, I finished the sh- I finished the show uh, today, and um, I do have to say, it was and these get better every year. Yep, this is, they get better every year. I was approaching what, what Bob Huggins territory by the end, but it worked out. Yeah, that, I mean, incredible stuff, incredible stuff by all involved. So shout out to you, shout out to Jerome shiv cecilia and the the wonderful michael springthorpe who just uh, is all he, he is on a hot streak when he gets yeah. on these shows yeah there, let yeah. me tell you yep yeah right. <laughs> salute to mike salute to mikey i know jake loves shouts to mike yeah but um but yeah so yeah support us there the, the next month we will have fast and furious five which i'm looking forward to talking about that should be so much fun and obviously the subscriber mailbag is a, is a big part of what we do too. We will get that done before the end of the month. So for Jake Christie, I am Anthony Canton the third. This has been Marvel Cinematic University and we will talk to you next time.